Book Two, Chapter Five of the Mystical City of God, Volume Three, by the Venerable Sister Mary of Jesus of Agreda. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book Two, Chapter Five: The Favors Bestowed Upon the Apostles by Christ the Savior on Account of Their Devotion to His Most Holy Mother, and the Sad Perdition of Judas on Account of Neglect of This Devotion. One of the great miracles of divine omnipotence, and a wonder of wonders, was the conduct of the Most Holy Mary toward the apostles and disciples of her Son and Savior, Christ. A full account of her wisdom is impossible to human tongue, and if I would wish to describe no more than what I have been made to understand concerning this matter, I would be obliged to write a larger volume. I will touch upon it in this chapter, and as occasion requires in the rest of this history. All that I can say is very little, yet from it the faithful can infer enough for their instruction. All those whom the Savior received into his divine school were to see and treat familiarly his most blessed mother. Hence he infused into their hearts an especial reverence and devotion toward the blessed lady. And though this infused reverence was common to all, it was not equal in all the disciples, for the Lord distributed his gifts according to his free will, in reference to their dispositions and in accordance with the duties and offices for which each one was destined. By conversation and familiar intercourse with their great queen and lady, their reverential love and devotion was to grow and increase. For the blessed lady spoke to all, loved them, consoled them, instructed and assisted them in their necessities, without ever permitting them to leave her conversation and presence, unreplenished by interior joy and consolation greater than they had asked for. Yet the measure of good fruit derived from them was dependent upon the disposition of the heart of those that received these favors. They were enabled to begin their intercourse with the mother of God in high admiration of her prudence, wisdom, purity, holiness, and great majesty, and were made sensible of a sweetness in her, inexpressibly humble and pleasing. This was so ordained by the Most High, because as I have said in the fifth book, chapter 22nd, it was not yet time to reveal this mystic ark of the New Testament to the world. Thus just as the Lord, however much he wished to break forth in her praise, could not manifest it in words, and concentrated it within his heart, so the holy apostles, sweetly constrained into silence, found a vent for their fervent feelings in a so much the more intense love of most holy mary and praise of her maker as the great lady on account of her peerless insight knew the natural disposition of each of the disciples his measure of grace his present condition and future office she proceeded according to this knowledge in her petitions and prayers in her instructions and conversings with them and in the favors she obtained for each in support of his vocation such a loving zeal in the conduct of a mere creature, so entirely pleasing to the wishes of his Lord, excited a new and boundless admiration in the holy angels. Of no less admiration was the hidden providence of the Almighty, by which the apostles were made to correspond to the blessings and favors received by them at the intercession of the Most Holy Mother. All this caused a divine harmony of action, hidden to men and manifest only to the heavenly spirits especially signalized for the reception of these sacramental favors were St. Peter and St. John, the former because he was destined to be the vicar of Christ and head of the militant church, 
and because he therefore deserved the special reverence and love of the Holy Mother. The latter, because he was to take the place of the Lord after his passion, in attending upon and conversing with the heavenly lady upon earth. As therefore the government and custody of the mystic church, namely, of Mary Immaculate, and of the visible militant church, namely, the faithful on earth, was to be divided between these two apostles, it was no wonder that they should be singly favored by the great queen of the world. But as St. John was chosen to serve Mary, and attain the dignity of an adopted son of the mistress of heaven, he at once began to experience special urgings of grace, and signalize himself in the service of most holy Mary. Although all the apostles excelled in devotion to the queen, beyond our power of understanding or conception, the evangelist St. John penetrated deeper into the mysteries of this city of God, and received through her such divine enlightenment as to excel all the other apostles. This is also evident from his gospel. John chapter 21 verse 20. All the divine insight therein manifested, he received through the Queen of Heaven, and the distinction of being called the beloved disciple of Jesus, he gained by his love toward the Most Blessed Mother. As this love was reciprocated by the Heavenly Lady, he became the Most Beloved Disciple both of Jesus and Mary. The Evangelist, besides chastity and virginal purity, possessed some other virtues which were especially pleasing to the Queen. Among them were a dove-like simplicity, as is manifest from his writings, and a great gentleness and humility, which made him most meek and tractable. The Heavenly Mother always looked upon the peaceful and the humble as the most faithful imitators of her Divine Son. On this account, the Blessed Queen favored St. John above all the other apostles, and he himself became more and more anxious to serve her with ever-increasing reverential love and affection. From the very first moment of his vocation, St. John commenced to excel all the rest in piety toward the mother Mary, and to fulfill the least of her wishes as her most humble slave. He attended upon her more assiduously than the rest, and whenever it was possible, he sought to be in her company and take upon himself some of the bodily labors connected with her present life. Sometimes it happened that the fortunate apostle competed with the holy angels in his zeal for thus assisting the great queen, while she still more eagerly sought to perform these works of humility herself, for in this virtue she triumphed over all other creatures, and none of them could ever hope in the least to surpass or equal her in acts of humility. The beloved disciple was very diligent in reporting to the heavenly lady the works and miracles wrought by the Savior whenever she herself could not be present, and in informing her of the new disciples converted by his teaching. He was constantly alert and studious to serve her in the least of her wishes, fulfilling each one of them with a loving eagerness. St. John also distinguished himself by the reverence with which he spoke to Mary, for in her presence he always called her Lady or My Mistress, and in her absence he entitled her Mother of Our Master Jesus. After the ascension of the Lord, when speaking of her, he was the first to call her Mother of God and of the Redeemer of the world. And when speaking to her, he addressed her Mother and Mistress. In her honor, he invented also the other titles, calling her the Propitiation for Sin and the Mistress of Nations. In particular, St. John invented the title Mary of Jesus, 
as she was often called in the primitive church and he gave her that name because he knew that the sound of these words awoke the sweetest memories in the heart of the blessed virgin i also desire to give joyful thanks to the lord that without my merits he has called me to the light of holy faith and to the religious life which i profess under this very name of mary of jesus the other apostles were well aware of the favor in which he stood with most holy mary and they often asked him to be their messenger in their behalf for what they desired to say or ask of their queen the gentle intercession of this holy apostle often procured for them tokens of the loving kindness of the sweetest mother concerning this intercourse of st john with the mother of grace i will say more in the third part and it will be easy to write an extensive history in merely mentioning the favors and blessings obtained by st john from this mistress and queen of the world next to st peter and st john st james was most beloved by the blessed mother he was the brother of st john and as we shall see from some instances to be related in the third part of this history he obtained admirable favors at the hands of the great lady. Also, St. Andrew was among those especially favored by the queen, because she knew of his great devotion to the passion and cross of Christ, and of his being destined to die on it like his divine master. I will not stop to speak of her love toward the other apostles, for she regarded them all with great affection, some on account of one virtue, some on account of another, and all of them because of their connection with her most holy son. This affection toward them she showed with great prudence, humility, and charity. Magdalene also had a share in her special love, for Mary knew that the love of this woman for her son was most ardent, and that this great penitent was eminently chosen for the manifestation of the magnificence of God's mercy toward men. Most Holy Mary distinguished her before the other women in her familiar intercourse, and enlightened her in regard to most exalted mysteries, by which she inflamed still more the love of Magdalene toward Jesus and toward herself. The Holy Penitent consulted the Heavenly Lady in regard to her desire of retreating into solitude in order to live in continual contemplation and penance, and the sweetest mother instructed her in the deep mysteries of solitary life. This life she afterwards embraced with the consent and blessing of the queen. Later on, Mary visited her in her retreat in person, and by means of the angels, often encouraged and consoled Magdalene in the horrors of the desert. The other women, who were in the company of Jesus, were much favored by the most blessed mother. All of them, and all of the disciples of the Lord, experienced her incomparable kindness and they were filled with an intense devotion and affection toward the mistress and mother of grace. They drew of the treasures of grace from her, as from a storehouse, where God had laid up his gifts for the whole human race. I do not dwell longer on this doctrine, for aside from its being unnecessary, since it is expounded by our holy church, it would consume much time to do it justice. I will, however, say something of that which has been made known to me concerning the wicked apostle Judas, for it belongs to this history and less is known of him. It will at the same time be a warning to the obstinate and an admonition for those little devoted to the most blessed Mary, for it is a sad truth that there should be any mortals who entertain little love toward a creature so lovable and one whom the infinite God himself loves without bound or measure whom the angels love with all their heavenly powers, 
the apostles and saints from their inmost souls, whom all creatures should eagerly strive to love, and who never can be loved according to her merits. Yet this unhappy apostle strayed from the royal road of divine love and its blessings. The understanding which has been given me concerning this defection, for the purpose of making it known in this history, is contained in the following paragraphs. Judas was attracted to the school of Christ our teacher by his forceful doctrines, and was filled with the same good intentions which moved the others. Powerfully drawn by these motives, he asked the Savior to admit him among his disciples, and the Savior received him with the bowels of a loving father, who rejects none that come to him in search of truth. In the beginning, Judas merited special favors and forged ahead of some of the other disciples, deserving to be numbered among the twelve apostles. For the Savior loved his soul according to its present state of grace and his good works, just as he did the others. The mother of grace and mercy observed the same course with him, although by her infused knowledge, she immediately became aware of the perfidious treachery with which he was to end his apostolate. She did not, on this account, deny him her intercession and maternal love, but she applied herself even more zealously to justify as far as possible the cause of her divine son against this perfidious and unfortunate man, in order that his wickedness, as soon as it should be put into action, might not have the shadow of an excuse before men. Well knowing that such a character as his could not be overcome by rigor, but would only be driven by it to so much the greater obstinacy, the most prudent lady took care that none of the wants or the comforts of Judas should be ignored, and she began to treat him, speak and listen to him more gently and lovingly than all the rest. This she carried so far that Judas, when the disciples once disputed among themselves concerning their standing with the queen, as according to the evangelist, Luke chapter 22, verse 24, it happened also concerning the Redeemer. Never experienced the least jealousy or doubt in this matter, for the blessed lady in the beginning always distinguished him by tokens of special love, and he, at that time, also showed himself thankful for these favors. But as Judas found little support in his natural disposition, and as the disciples, not being as yet confirmed in virtue, and not as yet even in grace, were guilty of some human failings, the imprudent man began to compliment himself on his perfection, and to take more notice of the faults of his brethren than of his own. Luke chapter 6 verse 41 he permitted himself thus to be deceived, making no effort to amend or repent. He allowed the beam in his own eyes to grow, while watching the splinters in the eyes of others, complaining of their little faults, and seeking, with more presumption than zeal, to correct the weaknesses of his brethren, he committed greater sins himself. Among the other apostles, he singled out St. John, looking upon him as an intermeddler, and accusing him, in his heart, of ingratiating himself with the master and his blessed mother. The fact that he received so many special favors from them was of no avail to deter him from this false assumption. Yet so far, Judas had committed only venial sins and had not lost sanctifying grace, but they argued a very bad disposition in which he willfully persevered. He had freely entertained a certain vain complacency in himself, this at once called into existence a certain amount of envy, which brought on a calumnious spirit, 
and harshness in judging of the faults of his brethren. These sins open the way for greater sins, for immediately the fervor of his devotion decreased, his charity toward God and men grew cold, and his interior light was lost and extinguished. He began to look upon the apostles, and upon the most holy mother, with a certain disgust, and find little pleasure in their intercourse and their heavenly activity. The most prudent lady perceived the growth of this defection in Judas, eagerly seeking his recovery and salvation before he should cast himself entirely into the death of sin. She spoke to him and exhorted him as her beloved child, and with extreme sweetness and force of reasoning. Although at times this storm of tormenting thoughts, which had begun to rise in the breast of Judas, was allayed, yet it was only for a short time, and soon it arose and disturbed him anew. Giving entrance to the devil into his heart, he permitted a furious rage against the most meek dove to take possession of him. With insidious hypocrisy, he sought to deny his sins or palliate them by alleging other reasons for his conduct, as if he could ever deceive Jesus and Mary and hide from them the secrets of his heart. Thereby he lost his interior reverence for the mother of mercy, despising her exhortations and openly reproaching her for her gentle words and reasonings. This ungrateful presumption threw him from the state of grace. The Lord was highly incensed and deservedly left him to his own evil counsels. By thus designedly rejecting the kindness and the intercession of Most Holy Mary, he closed against himself the gates of mercy and of his own salvation. His disgust with the sweetest mother soon engendered in him an abhorrence of his master. He grew dissatisfied with his doctrines and began to look upon the life of an apostle and intercourse with the disciples as too burdensome. Nevertheless, divine providence did not abandon him immediately, but continued to send him interior assistance, although in comparison with former helps, they were of a kind more common and ordinary. They were, however, in themselves, sufficient for his salvation, if he would make use of them. To these graces were added the gentle exhortations of the kindest mistress, urging him to restrain himself and to humble himself and ask pardon of his divine master. She offered him mercy in his name and her own kind of assistance in obtaining it, promising to do penance for him if he would consent to be sorry for his sins and amend his life. All these advances did the mother of grace make in order to prevent the fall of Judas. She was well aware that not seeking to arise from a fall and to persevere in sin was a much greater evil than to have fallen. The conscience of this proud disciple could not but reproach him with his wickedness. But becoming hardened in his heart, he began to dread the humiliation, which would have been to his credit, and he fell into still greater sins. In his pride, he rejected the salutary counsels of the mother of Christ and chose rather to deny his guilt, protesting with a lying tongue that he loved his master and all the rest, and that there was no occasion for amending his conduct in this regard. It was indeed an admirable example of patience and charity, which Christ our Savior and his most blessed mother gave us in their conduct toward Judas after his fall into sin, for as long as he remained in their company, they never showed exteriorly any change or irritation in their behavior toward him, nor did they cease to treat him with the same kindness and gentleness as all the rest. This was the reason why the wickedness of Judas, who necessarily showed signs of his evil state in his daily conversation and intercourse, 
remained so long concealed to the apostles. For it is not easy, and perhaps not possible, continually to cover up or hide the tendencies of one's mind. In matters not depending upon deliberation, we always act according to our character and our habits, and thus we disclose them, at least to the watchful eyes of those with whom we have much intercourse. But as all of the disciples witness the constant affability and love of Christ our Redeemer, and of his blessed mother toward Judas, they suppressed their suspicions and ignored the exterior proofs of his wickedness. Hence all of them were much disturbed and agitated, when at the Last Supper the Lord told them that one of them was to betray him. Matthew chapter 24 And each one searched his soul, whether the accusation could refer to his own self. St. John, on account of his greater intimacy, had some suspicion of the wicked doings of Judas, and he was made more reckless by his love. Therefore, Jesus pointed out the traitor, but only by a sign, as is related in the Gospel. John chapter 13 verse 26 Before that time, the Lord had not given the least intimation of what was passing in the heart of Judas. This forbearance was yet more wonderful in the most blessed Mary, who, though the mother of Christ and a mere creature, saw his perfidious betrayal close at hand, and about to cause the death of her own son, whom she loved so tenderly as a mother and as a handmaid. O oh, ignorance and folly of men, how differently do we behave, if we are slightly affronted, though we deserve it so much! How unwillingly do we bear with the weaknesses of others, though expecting all men to bear with ours! How grudgingly we pardon an offense, though daily and hourly asking the Lord to pardon us our own. Matthew chapter 6 verse 12 How prompt and cruel are we in making known the faults of our brethren, yet how resentful and angry at any word of criticism against us! None do we measure with the same measure with which we desire to be measured, and we do not wish to be judged by the same standard as we judge others. Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 and 2. All this is perversity and darkness, a breath from the mouth of the hellish dragon, who wishes to stem the flow of the most precious virtue of charity, and disconcert the order of human and divine reasonableness. For God is charity, and he who exercises it perfectly is in God, and God is in him. Lucifer is wrath and vengeance, and all those that yield to these vices follow the devil, who is leading them on to all the vices opposed to the good of the neighbor. Though the beauty of this virtue of charity has always filled my heart with the desire of possessing it fully, nevertheless I see, as in a clear mirror, that I have arrived not even at a beginning of this most noble virtue, as exhibited in these wonders of divine charity toward the most ungrateful disciple Judas." In order that I may not incur the blame of concealing what belongs in this chapter, I will mention another cause of the ruin of Judas. When the number of the apostles and disciples increased, the Lord resolved to appoint one of them to take charge of the alms received, thus to supply the common needs and pay the imperial tribute. Jesus had made known his wishes to all indiscriminately, without addressing himself to anyone in particular. While all of them feared such an office and sought to evade it, Judas immediately strove to obtain it. In order to secure his appointment, he humbled himself so far 
as to ask St. John to speak to the Most Holy Queen and induce her to arrange this matter for him with her son. St. John yielded to the request of Judas and spoke to the Most Prudent Mother, but she, knowing that this request of Judas was not proper or just, but proceeded from ambition and avarice, did not wish to propose it to the Divine Master. The same kind of influence Judas sought to bring into play through St. Peter and other apostles without success, for the Lord in his goodness wished to stay his ruin and justify his cause before men if he should grant the request. At this resistance, the heart of Judas, already corrupted by avarice, instead of quietly yielding, was consumed with unhappy desires for the office and the devil stirred up thoughts of vilest ambition, such as would have been most improper and wicked in any one, and hence were much more culpable in Judas, who had been a disciple in the school of highest perfection, and who had lived in the light of the sun of justice and its beautiful moon, Mary. Neither in the day of abundant graces, when the sun, Jesus, lighted his paths, nor in the night of temptations, when the moon Mary disclosed to him the wiles of the poisonous serpent, could he have failed to become aware of the wickedness of such suggestions. But as he flew from the light and cast himself willfully into darkness, he presumed to ask Most Holy Mary in a direct manner for her influence in obtaining his object. He had lost all fear and hid his avarice in the cloak of virtue, Approaching her, he said that he had made his request through St. Peter and St. John, with the sole desire of diligently serving her and his divine master, since not all would attend to the duties of this office with proper solicitude, and that therefore he now asked her to obtain the position of purser for him from the master. The great lady answered him with extreme gentleness, Consider well, my dearest, what thou askest, and examine whether thy intentions are upright. Ponder well whether it is good for thee to seek that which all thy brethren fear and refuse to accept, unless they shall be compelled thereto by the command of their Lord and Master. He loves thee more than thou lovest thyself, and without doubt knows what will benefit thee. Resign thyself to his most holy will, change thy purpose, and seek to grow rich in humility and poverty. Rise from thy fall, for I will extend thee a helpful hand, and my son will show thee his loving mercy. Who would not have yielded to these sweetest words, and such urgent advice, spoken by such an amiable and heavenly creature as was most holy Mary? But this fierce and adamantine heart was not softened or moved. On the contrary, the soul of Judas was offended and enraged against the heavenly lady, for thus offering him a means of escaping from his dreadful danger. Boundless ambition and avarice roused his fury against her, who seemed to hinder him in his projects, and he considered her well-meant advice as an insult. But the most meek and loving dove pretended not to notice his obstinacy, and said nothing more to him at that time. After his interview with Most Holy Mary, the avarice of Judas would not allow him to rest, casting off all modesty and natural shame, and the least spark of faith. Judas now resolved to apply to his divine master and savior. Clothing himself like a consummate hypocrite in the garb of a sheep, he went to his master and said, Master, I wish to fulfill thy wishes and serve thee as thy purser and as the dispenser of the alms which we receive. I will look to the interests of the poor, fulfilling thy doctrine that we should do unto others as we wish them to do unto us, 
and I will see to it that alms are distributed according to thy wishes, more profitably and orderly than hitherto. Such reasoning the specious hypocrite boldly used, committing many enormous sins in one and the same act. For, first of all, he lied, concealing his real intention. Then, being ambitious of an honor which he did not merit, he neither wished to appear in his true light, nor did he wish to be in truth what he merely pretended to be. He also blamed his brethren, discrediting them and praising himself, the ordinary course of those who are ambitious. What is especially to be noticed in this conduct of Judas is that he showed his loss of infused faith, for he attempted to deceive Christ, his divine master, by wearing the cloak of hypocrisy. For, if he had firmly believed that Christ was true God and man, who penetrated into the secrets of the heart, he could not have hoped to be able to deceive him, nor would he have attempted such double dealing, not only because he would have known Christ as the omniscient God, but because he would not have hoped to impose upon the infused and beatific science of Christ as man. Hence Judas had lost belief in all these prerogatives, and to his other sins added the sin of heresy. What the apostle says in his first letter to Timothy was literally fulfilled in this treacherous disciple. For they that will become rich fall into temptation and into the snares of the devil and into many unprofitable and hurtful desires which drown men into destruction and perdition. For the desire of money is the root of all evils which some coveting have erred from the faith and have entangled themselves in many sorrows. First letter to St. Timothy, chapter 6, verse 9. All this happened to the perfidious and avaricious disciple, and his avarice was so much the more blamable, since he had the striking and admirable example of Christ and of his mother, and that of the whole apostolic company before his eyes, and they all accepted only very moderate alms. But the wicked disciple imagined that on account of the great miracles of his master and the multitudes which followed and gathered around him, the alms and offerings would increase, and he could have at his disposal large amounts. Seeing that his expectations were not realized, he was much disappointed, as he plainly showed on the occasion of the anointing of the Lord by Mary Magdalene. Mark chapter 14 verse 4 his desire of gathering in alms induced him to estimate the value of the ointment at three hundred pence and to complain that this money was withheld from the poor, among whom it could have been distributed. He was moved to say this because he regretted very much not to lay hands on it himself. Little cared he for the poor. He was highly incensed against the mother of mercy because she distributed such generous alms among the poor against the Lord, because he would not accept large donations, and against the apostles and disciples, because they did not ask for them. All this vexed him sorely, because his purse was thereby kept empty. Some months before the death of the Savior, he began frequently to avoid the other apostles, absenting himself from their company and from the Redeemer, for the intercourse with them was getting irksome to him, and he joined them only in order to collect what donations he could. During these times of absence, the devil inspired him with the thought of breaking entirely with the master and of delivering him over to the Jews. But let us return to the answer given to Judas by the master, whom he asked to make his purser. 
we shall see how hidden and terrible are the judgments of the Most High. The Redeemer wished to ward off from him the danger which lay behind this request and which threatened the avaricious apostle with final perdition. In order that Judas might not excuse himself under plea of ignorance, the Lord answered him, Dost thou know, Judas, what thou seekest and what thou askest? Be not so cruel toward thy own self as to solicit and seek to obtain the poison and the arms which may cause thy death. Judas replied, Master, I desire to serve thee by employing my strength in the service of thy faithful followers, and in this way I can do it better than in any other, for I offer to fulfill all the duties of this office without fail. This daring presumption of Judas in seeking and coveting danger justified the cause of God in allowing him to enter and perish in the danger thus sought and coveted. He resisted the light. Ecclesiastes chapter 15 verse 17 And hardened himself against it. Water and fire was shown him, life and death. He stretched forth his hand and chose perdition. The justice of the Most High was made clear, and his mercy was exalted, since he had so often presented himself at the portals of this hardened heart, whence he had been spurned in order to make way for the devil. Later on, I will mention further particulars of the wickedness of Judas as a warning to mortals, for I do not wish to prolong this chapter too much, and they will fit better into other parts of this history. What mortal, subject to sin, will not be seized with great fear when he thus sees one of his fellow beings, who belonged to the school of Christ and of his blessed mother, who was reared in the light of his doctrines and miracles, who performed the same wonders as the rest, in so short a time pass from the condition of an apostle into that of a demon, transform himself from an innocent sheep into a ravening and bloodthirsty wolf. From venial sins, Judas proceeded to most grievous and horrible crimes. He yielded himself to the devil, who already suspected that Christ was God, and who began to exercise the wrath he had against the Lord upon this unfortunate disciple strayed from the little flock. If then the fury of Lucifer is just as great and much greater after having learnt to his cost that Christ is the true God and Redeemer, what hope has the soul of escaping this inhuman and cruel enemy who so vehemently and furiously seeks our eternal damnation? Instruction given to me by the Most Holy Queen of Heaven. My daughter, all that thou hast written in this chapter is a most important warning for all those that live in the flesh and in the imminent danger of losing their eternal happiness. It should teach them to seek my most kind and powerful intercession and to fear the judgments of the Most High, for in these lies an efficacious means of salvation and of meriting higher reward for the Lord. I wish to remind thee once more that among the secrets revealed to the beloved John at the Last Supper was also this, that he had become the beloved disciple of Christ on account of his love toward me, and that Judas fell because he despised the mercy and kindness which I had shown him. At that time also, the evangelists understood other great mysteries communicated and wrought in me, that I should take part in the labor and suffering of the passion, and that he should have special charge of me. My dearest, 
the purity which I require of thee must be greater than that of an angel, and if thou strive after it, thou wilt become my dearest child, as St. John, and a most beloved and favored spouse of my son and lord. His example and the ruin of Judas should continually serve thee as a stimulus and as a warning, to seek only after my love, and to be sincerely thankful for the love shown thee without thy merit. I wish thee also to understand another secret hidden from the world, namely, that one of the most vile and horrible sins before the Lord is the little esteem in which the just and the friends of the church are held, and especially the little veneration showed toward me, who was chosen for his mother, and am the cause of the happiness of all men. If the failure to love the enemies and contempt of them is so displeasing to the Lord and to the saints of heaven, Matthew chapter 18 verse 35. How shall he bear with such treatment of his most dear friends, whom he holds as the apple of his eye and in the deepest affection? Psalm 33 verse 16. This counsel thou canst never bear in mind too much in this mortal life, and it is one of the signs of reprobation to hold in abhorrence the just. Beware of this danger, and judge no one, especially those that reprehend and admonish thee. Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 Do not allow thyself to desire worldly things, worst of all any office of superiority, a desire which allures the human sense, disturbs the judgment, and obscures reason. Envy no one his honor, nor the possession of any earthly thing, nor seek to obtain from the Lord anything else than his love and friendship. Man is full of blindest inclinations, and if he does not restrain them, he will begin to ask for that which will cause his eternal perdition. Sometimes the Lord, according to hidden judgments, grants these petitions in punishment for wicked desires and other sins, as it happened with Judas. Such souls receive earthly reward for any good actions, which they may have performed during mortal life. If thou wilt look into the deceptive course of the lovers of this world, thou wilt see that they consider themselves fortunate whenever they attain all that they desire according to their earthly inclinations. This only hastens their greater misfortune, for they, having received their reward, cannot expect any in the eternal life. But the just, who despise the world and meet with many adversities, are withdrawn and shielded from danger, because the Lord denies them the temporal goods which they desire and ask for. In order that thou mayest not fall into such danger, I exhort and command thee never to hanker after, nor to seek earthly possession. Separate thyself from all, preserve thy will, free and independent, never desire for anything beyond what is God's pleasure for he will assume charge of all those that resign themselves to his divine providence. End of chapter 5